Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do, and it's what they've been doing for over 100 years. They finance land. They refinance loans that are tied to land. They give you equipment loans if you need them to help maintain the land. If you're a farmer and need a production loan, if you're thinking about building a dream house in the country, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they do, it's what they've been doing, and they would love to work with you. Online, the website mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Five years ago today, the SEC Network made its debut, and they've got uh, some special programming coming up tonight. Uh, with a bunch of the people that uh, have contributed to uh, SEC Network over the uh, uh, the last five years, it's um, yeah, really. It, I don't want to overstate this, but but I will ask you guys. I watch a lot of SEC Network, and you know when I when I'm flipping channels, there's not a whole lot that gets watched at my house. Hey, kids watch cartoons. Obi Nava Montgomery have kind of graduated away from some cartoons, more into like, you know, shows that are more age appropriate. Francis is all into Pinkalicious right now. Jane watches basically no television, and I'll occasionally catch something on like HG or DIY. And aside from that, it's sports shows, uh, either games or studio shows. And usually I start at ESPN and then flip around and then flip to the SEC Network. Do you watch it much, Borky, hey Dad, Rippy? Uh, to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm probably an outlier. I don't watch its programming all of that much. I'm really just on the SEC Network for live sports. But uh, I, I have a feeling that I'm not exactly um, common in that. I, everybody I talk to watches it all the time, kind of like you do. I and mean, that's what they put on when they come home from work is they'll have the SEC Network on. Most of my buddies do anyway. I'm just not like that. I'm really just there for for the live sports. Hey, Dad, do you watch much SEC Network? I watch as many games as I can during the season, obviously. You know, having this job is is a part of that. But I I watch the highlight shows, uh, especially, you know, after games. I like to get – I like to – I don't know if it's like an affirmation or what, but I want to know if guys like Peter Burns and and Dari Noakwood, did they see what I saw watching the games? And I feel like that helps me formulate my opinions a little bit. Yeah, I, I would agree. I watch less this time of year, but once the seasons begin and I can get football highlights and reaction and then basketball stuff and baseball stuff, watch a ton of it. I mean, this time of year, the, the, the best thing for me is the replays of old games. And you've gotten a bunch of those lately. Rippy, do you watch SEC Network? Uh, no. I don't, I, I don't watch a ton of, like, non-game TV anyway, but if it is, it's probably usually MLB Network or Golf Channel. Okay. And then I watch NFL during the season. I don't do much NFL Network off-season. 
like Good Morning Football or the nighttime shows. Yeah, or like just leave it on, like if I'm like doing something, just like kind of background it. type stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I mean, I think there's a mix of, of how people consume it. Um, it certainly has changed the game for all 14 schools in the SEC, and it really is kind of the Big Ten Network was first, and. You know, at the time, you had Mike Slive as the commissioner, and his attitude toward the launch of the SEC network and whether or not there was going to be a conference network for the SEC, which almost seems like a silly thing to ask at this point. Hey, well, is, is the SEC? Well, of course they're going to do it. And just, it, it took a while to get to that point. But Mike Slive's idea was we don't have to be first on this deal, but we want to get it right when we do it. Uh, the Pac-12 has certainly not gotten it right. The programming is not good. You can't watch games, and their carriage is not good. SEC Network had what was deemed the most successful launch of a cable channel in the history of cable television. Uh, the numbers are down from where they were at the launch simply because of all the cord cutting that has happened in the last five years. ACC Network is about to roll out, and if you look at who they've got carriage agreements with right now, and they're still what, 10, 12 days away from launch, it's nowhere close to the saturation that you had with the SEC network. So I would say that the SEC network has probably been the most successful of the three conference networks on television that you've got right now. There's not a lot of argument about that, is there? Are you sure? Because the Pac-12 did great with their rollout. Stop it, Porky. <laughs> no, it was incredible. I, I mean... Yeah, there was some resistance on availability at first, but it's just a different world in this region of the country, and that ended quickly. It was It's pretty incredible. And the, the baseball coverage, I, with football, and what they've done for football is not really that big of a deal because they were going to find a way to get every SEC game on accessible television one way or the other. Like That was just going to happen with or without the network. But having every single basketball game on TV, no matter what, you can watch your basketball team. And every baseball game on a broadcast quality stream at worst. Every single baseball game, as long as it's in an SEC stadium, that is incredible. Well, and the SEC Network Plus is probably, I mean, it's an offshoot, but it's all rolled in together. And that is how it has made it so much better for uh, for fans. Because the production quality... I mean, you may or may not like announcers for specific schools. If you're tuning in to watch your team and they're playing a road game, you may not be wild about the announcers. But the production quality across the board is pretty darn good. Sometimes you have conflicts and you get stuck with one of those one-camera shoots or they call them less than minimum standards. But by and large, pretty darn good to watch it on your phone or on your computer or stream it to your television or however it is that you, uh, you take it in. We'll talk more about uh, the launch of the SEC Network. Five years now, five-year anniversary today, August 14th of 2014 was the uh, the rollout day. We'll do that, but a lot of other things coming your way this afternoon. Ole Miss and Mississippi State have uh, both practiced since we got off the air yesterday. We'll get some observations and thoughts from, uh, from Hey Dad about Mississippi State and Rippy about Ole Miss. Ross Dellinger is going to join us a little bit later this afternoon ton of lists from Sports Illustrated and some uh, some blowback for Ross uh, for something that wasn't necessarily his doing. We're going to dive into the conversation of what success 
would look like this year for Ole Miss and for Mississippi State? How would you measure success for these two football teams in this particular year? All of the quarterbacks at the Division One level have been ranked by Pro Football Focus, um, and Hard Knocks was last night. Did not watch it. Borky, my guess is you did? Yeah, I did. It was much better this week than last week. Uh, you had okay. a really cool moment, too, of... Um, they found some old video, mic'd up audio from John Gruden back when he was at Tampa. And now he just hired a fresh out of college, Sean McVay. And and he's sitting here ribbing on McVay. He's like, hey, do you really want to do this? Or do you just like football? Or are you serious about it? And they play, it was like a minute long of just him ribbing on his new assistant. He called him a glorified secretary. And then they immediately cut to him and Sean McVay meeting on the field when they did a joint practice last week. Uh, that was a really cool moment, seeing that. You got to see the fight uh, that, unfortunately, uh, well, that's not why Gabe Jackson got hurt, but you, you saw that fight, and Aaron Donald's just unbelievable. It was a really good episode, and Jonathan Abram is still talking. <laughs> well, well, death taxes and Jonathan Man. Abram talking. <laughs> that dude. I mean, hey, Dad, you told us we should not be surprised by this. No. No, not should, be, should not be surprising. You should only be surprised if he's quiet. Yeah, he did have a really funny thing. I don't, I can't remember who he was talking to, but he said, "Man, Tom Brady's forty-two. He's older than my dad. Tom Brady could be <laughs> my dad." <laughs> wow, there, there are actually probably uh, a lot of young players in the uh, the NFL that could uh, could say that. Did you guys see this with regard to hard knocks? We know it's been wildly successful as it pertains to the NFL. Hard knocks coming to a college football team near you, perhaps? Various reports out say that Arizona State, Alabama, Washington State, and Penn State have entered into discussions to allow cameras and filmmakers on campus this year to shoot footage for an upcoming yet-to-be-revealed production on HBO. Penn State released a statement. As we do with all opportunities, we feel we can, uh, can enhance our program. We are exploring the prospect of working on this project with the appropriate officials from all parties involved. Uh, Alabama has not yet fully agreed, but you could get Herm Edwards, Mike Leach, James Franklin, and Nick Saban in hard knock style coverage. How about that? It's just as long as they give them the access. Hard Knocks is so good is because you see everything, all of the words as well, everything. You see it all, even the ugly. So I just I wonder if the schools would agree to let them show that. Well, we will uh, we'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to be with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, all coming to you. From the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm on this Wednesday afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open. The number is 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. If you want to jump in and be a part of the conversation, prepaid by Ceasefire is going big for back to school with special deals including a light new iPhone 6S for just $49 plus a daily $500 giveaway. Learn more at cspire.com/prepaid. Ceasefire customer inspired. 
Good to have you along this afternoon. Um, let's start here today. Both the Bulldogs and the Rebels have practiced since we wrapped things up with you yesterday. Um, hey, Dad, let's, uh, let's start in Starkville. What do we need to know? Limited practice time for Keaton Thompson yesterday, is that right? Yeah, he was in the red jersey yesterday. Didn't throw. Uh, the one drill I saw him working in was just a handoff drill. I was told, I was on the opposite side of the field of this, but that he was uh, riding the stationary bike and did not was not using his right arm to hold anything up. You know, like you sit on a bike and hold the handles. He was not doing that. So, so obviously that's speculation. Don't have any, anything for real. We were supposed to talk to Andrew Briner today uh, pre-practice, but they, that got canceled uh, as they went and they had a team outing today. Uh, so there'll be no practice tonight either in Starkville. Uh, so no no update on that. We won't talk to another coach until Saturday when we talk to Joe Moorhead after their second scrimmage. But Keaton Thompson was uh, was missing from the throwing part of practice and was limited yesterday. Team outing. Is this like where everybody goes swimming or they all go to the ice cream truck or one of those deals? <laughs> they went bowling from the looks of it on Twitter. Oh, bowling. Yeah. Eh, indoor activity, probably not a bad idea. Uh, yeah, on a day like today, sure. They went. To, I think they went to was it Geyser Falls there at uh, at the Golden Moon Resort, Port River Resort last year. And uh, oh, but this year was that was that the water park? Yeah, forgot that they, they had done that last year. They did that last year. This year, bowling. Kind of the halfway point of camp is usually when that happens. Take a day off. Yeah, yeah, yeah just you know, middle of the week. Just let them have a day off. What was it? Was it Mark Rick who used to take Georgia to the pool every year and he would always like do a flip off the high dive or something? Yeah, he did it in Miami when he was there too. Yeah, he would just take take that insane, what, 20 foot drop. Yeah. Did you see Mike Leach's belly flop recently? Yeah, it was not very good. It wasn't good, but it's still a great video. Yeah. Mike, Fleet, uh, Mike Leach, Sands shirt. He, he was right next to the diving board, but he jumped off the side of the pool. He, I mean,. Nothing about that guy makes sense, but yet it all makes perfect sense. A reality show where just a camera follows him around every day doing just normal things would be so fascinating. I don't know what it is about him. Just a standard belly flop, slightly overweight, older man belly flop is, I mean, it went viral. He could be a real-life Truman show and get ratings through the roof. (laughs) Anything else on the injury front outside of uh, Keaton Thompson not practicing yesterday? Willie Gay was back at practice yesterday, so it looks like uh, you know Joe Moore had told us that I think he'll be back early next week. That seems to be the case. Um, beyond that, I didn't. When I was in there, they, you know they were practicing indoors, but I think the injured guys they may have had them working outdoors. So the only person I saw in a red jersey was was Keaton. There's a little uh, impetus to get well and get back with the team if they're all inside getting it done, and you got to go work uh, in the <laughs> heat outside, outside. Uh, while you're injured. Uh, might want to get well. Uh, not yeah. just hanging out in the uh, the training room. It is a little bit cooler today. I mean, yeah. marginally. Yeah, today it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like a little bit. A little bit might be pushing it. To be totally honest, it's still really hot outside. No, it's hot. But I mean, instead of it being ninety eight or ninety nine with a heat index of one fourteen when we come on the show, it was like ninety three, and there was a little bit of a breeze today. Yeah. Rippy, you were outside today for practice. Today versus Monday, drastically different. Yeah, less hot. Not quite as hot. 
a little bit more of a breeze. And that's the hard-hitting analysis that you subscribe to this show for. I'm not a weatherman. Yes, but I thought you might say, yeah, you know, Monday, I'm not a big sweater, but I stood out there and didn't do anything and was drenched. And today, not much, a little bit of a breeze. There was a little bit more of a breeze. A slight sheen on my forehead is all I came away with, or something along those lines. Write that down for next time. It's cooler. Okay. What happened? Jeez. What happened at practice today at Ole Miss? You were there. Um, They got some guys back from injury. Sam Williams was back and not in a no-contact jersey. That's a double negative. He was full go. Um, Jason Pellerin was back and didn't appear to be limited at all. They had a couple guys in the secondary that were back at practice, but in green jerseys, Jalen Julius and John Haynes. Um... For the first time, in, or I think for the first time in camp, at least from what we've seen, they switched the tackles. They had Michael Howard at left tackle and Bryce Matthews at right. Um, really, from does that indicate anything? No, they need guys that can play both way, both sides. They need guards that can play both sides. They probably need a couple guards that can play center. So, not necessarily. Um, I guess that the fact that they're trying it out means they at least think they can do it. I don't really know why you couldn't. Okay. Um. See, I've got like 1,100 words and notes up on supertalk.fm if reading's uh, part of your skill set and something you like to do. Um, As far as the backup quarterback, (laughs) as far as the backup quarterback job goes, there's an interesting development there. Um, We talked to Grant Tisdale after practice. He didn't say he was the second string quarterback, but he sure spoke like one. He dropped a you're only one play away. He's coming along, knows the playbook well. Rich Rodriguez, I don't want to misquote him. He said. Tisdale might be a little bit ahead mentally because he was there in the spring, but John Rice is a great athlete and a really smart guy. Those two and Matt have really been splitting the rotation of reps. That's partly because Ken K. Dent was out with a concussion um, that he suffered in Saturday's scrimmage. So I think you're maybe seeing a little bit more clarity in the backup quarterback race. And, you know, things could change. John Rice Palmy's only been there 10 practices, whatever. But, you know, we were talking about the, the fact that, um, Tisdale was wearing the white jersey on Saturday, and Plumlee was made available to contact. What does that say? You know, that kind of plays into that a little bit. Maybe if there's a game tomorrow or whatever, Tisdale's probably the guy going in if uh, Corral tweaks an ankle. But, you know, that could change as the year goes on because, as as, um, as Rodriguez said, John Plumlee's a really good athlete, dual-threat guy. So um, let's see if I missed anything else. Anything, uh, Pentamon, we talked earlier in the week about making the transition to tight end or something along those lines? Yeah, so he was pretty, uh, we talked to him after practice today, he was uh, he was pretty open to the idea. I think he really just badly wants to get back on a football field. Hasn't played a game since um, November of 2017. Um, that's a really deep position. They think he has good enough ball skills to be tight end. I think it's going to be more of a tight end slash H-back type of thing. Um, because he is five foot eleven, like I don't think he's going to be going over the middle for a seam route at five foot eleven. Um, kind of a small window. There right? is an adjustment period, just because I mean, as a running back, you got a five yard head start to kind of meet the contact or let the contact meet you. That's not really the case there. He's probably going to have an adjustment period there. Said he hadn't stuck his hand in the dirt since uh, he was a kid playing fullback in youth football. Mm-hmm. Um, so adjustment period there, but he seemed very open to it. I don't know. He seems like a good kid with a really good attitude that really really just wants to play. I think part of his quote today was, if it's a way that can get me on the field and get me some film, I'm open to it. Okay. Understandable, especially when you hadn't played uh, any significant, well, any, in a year and a half at this point. Almost two years. 
Yeah, it is almost two years. What is the second to last game of 2017 against A&M? Didn't play all of last year. Um, I, I don't know if he couldn't. Like, I don't know if I don't think it's one of those things where he couldn't play SEC running back at this point. I don't think that's really the case. I think they're just so deep there they don't need him there, and there's no risk to this at all. If it doesn't work out, you move, or if somebody else gets hurt at running back, you just move him back. Richrod talked early in camp about um, Scotty Phillips not really being in shape. Does that seem to have changed at all? I don't think that's a major thing. I, I don't think he's like out of shape. He added five pounds, you know, whether that be muscle or not. I don't know. He looks a little sturdier. I, I don't think that was a major thing. I think muscle that, or Twinkies. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of it. Just getting out of the sun and practicing for the first time in a while in that uh, in that heat heat that I did not aptly describe earlier apparently. So I think it's a minor thing more than a major thing. I think he'll be fine. He broke a long run in the scrimmage. Um they're pretty good back there. I mean they the I did notice today the only two guys that got first team reps in some of the two back stuff they were doing was him he and Snoop Connor side by side. Um I believe Willard and uh Ely were on the other side working with the second team. So whatever you want to make of that. So you think from like a, a carries distribution standpoint it's Scotty Phillips with the most by a lot and then close to equal for the other three guys? I don't know. The second part, I really, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they know as far as after Phillips. I think Phillips will see the most carries. I'm not sure if it's by a lot because why beat the hell out of him if you don't necessarily have to? I think he will be the quote-unquote bell cow. After that, I don't think they know yet. I think Snoop Connors made it more interesting maybe than most people would have thought going from, like, I guess, from the spring. You heard him say it. You want to read the uh, full practice report, go to supertalk.fm, and you can read it there. I think Rippy said somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,100 words, and if reading is part of your skill set and you like to do that, maybe give it a try. His words, not mine. (laughs) You are one of a kind. Got to nail the cell job. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm on this Wednesday afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. You can text the show on the C Spire text line. Told you earlier we'd talk more about the launch of the SEC network that happened five years ago today. Uh, How about with a guy who maybe has more insight than just about anybody else on the planet as to how that process went along? That's Charlie Hussey from the Southeastern Conference office. He was, uh, I guess, kind of the point person, or at least the lead point person uh, on the SEC side of things uh, in getting that project done. And he joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Charlie, appreciate a, a few minutes of your time. It's kind of hard to believe that it's been five years since the SEC network launched. It is, Richard. And first, thanks for having me on. Um, I've just arrived in Charlotte. We have a uh little celebration tonight, a special anniversary show that starts up here at uh, 7 Eastern. So just got here, and uh, it is hard to believe that it was five years ago tonight that we sat in a room, Commissioner Slive and some other staff members and Justin Connolly of ESPN, and uh, pushed the button, and at 6 o'clock Eastern, we had a live TV channel. What do you remember about the final few days? Um, there, there was such a long buildup to the launch of the network and the point where it actually went live on the air. But what were the last few days? Was it pandemonium and a lot of stuff being tied up? Or by that point, was it pretty much all done? You know, it was a lot of excitement. Um, obviously, when you think about 
starting a channel, always equate it to real estate. In real estate, you hear location, location, location. And when you think about a TV channel, it's distribution, distribution, distribution. And so as we were kind of leading in there to August 14th, 2014, we had a lot of cable and satellite affiliate agreements done, but there were a few still on the table, and we were able to secure those in the last uh, last few days. And so we knew going into the launch that we were going to be on nine of the top ten cable and satellite providers in the country. So it was it was a celebration. It was excitement. Uh, Bob Iger, chairman of Disney, you know, called it the most successful launch of a television channel in the history of cable. So that's not a sports channel. That's of any channel. And so we were excited. I remember institutions were excited, and I think uh, five years later, it uh, has really paid off. Charlie, why is it that you think the SEC, in conjunction with ESPN, was kind of able to get all of those agreements locked away? The Big Ten kind of got there eventually, but they weren't there out of the gate. The Pac-12, ne- uh, Pac-12 Networks has kind of continued to have some issues with distribution the ACC, which is about to launch, is is close, but they're not there yet. They've still got some of those agreements to hammer out. So what was it that made it possible to get all of the agreements done in time for the launch? Well, I think um, there were a few factors. But one, uh, which we're still uh, fortunate to have, is just the passion of SEC fans. And so we, we, right out of the gate, we had signed with AT&T, U-verse, and Dish Network, which gave us the ability to have the channel anywhere in the country. And our fans called. They called their cable and satellite providers and said, hey, look, if we don't get this channel, we're switching. And so we were fortunate to have some national distribution right out of the gate. So the passion of the SEC fan who wanted the network, who wanted the content, was critical. The second thing, I, I think there's kind of three pillars here. The second one is... Um, the competition in the SEC, and uh, of course I'm, I'm biased, but I, I don't think it's matched anywhere else in the country. And so just the great student-athletes and the competition that the Southeastern Conference has, we knew we were going to have great, great content. And then I think the third thing, I remember institutions all pulled in the same direction. Uh, as you know, all of our campuses are outfitted with state-of-the-art production facilities um, and produce a ton of events. So uh, those three things, it was a unique model, and uh, those I think those three pillars are what led us to success. It, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the online content. We were talking about this a little while ago, and, and Borky mentioned that baseball may be the sport that has been served most and best by the launch of SEC Network because basically in a conference where there's huge passion for baseball – you can get every single game that your team plays, or at least all the home games and then all the conference games. That's do right. you guys look at it that way? Uh, we do. I think you know, a lot of our Olympic sports really stood to gain the most. Baseball, as you mentioned, being one of them. Uh, I think we're doing 3X baseball games since we started the network. And uh, baseball is so good in the Southeastern Conference that um, you know it's been easy to uh, it's been easy to show and televise. So baseball, but all of our Olympic sports. You, know, you think about you think about gymnastics of a Friday night gymnastics package that's fantastic. Um, so it's been uh, it's been it's been a success really for all of our Olympic sports. Not to mention the three football games that we televise every Saturday. Charlie Hussey, associate commissioner with the Southeastern Conference, on your radio. We're talking about the five year anniversary of the SEC Network. It launched on August fourteenth of twenty fourteen. Uh, today's August fourteenth, twenty nineteen. I'm curious. What you might have done differently, or what 
lessons, maybe even difficult lessons that you've had to learn along the way? Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, I think it shows you the level of the detail when I tell you that nobody's counting, but today they 1,826 of the network. <laughs> so we're paying pretty close attention. But, um, you know, one thing I think you remember to prepare yourself for is just the changing of technology. And so we've got to make sure that we um, that, that we uh, you know stay ahead of the curve and make sure our institutions are outfitted with uh, the very best uh, equipment, cameras, and fiber lines and things like that. So I'm not sure I do anything different. I don't look back like that. But uh, moving forward, we got to ensure that we keep our our technology uh, at the very highest level. Okay, if you don't look back, I know your your former boss, um, Mike Slive, and, and Greg Sankey uh, to a certain degree as well, have always been good about looking into the future. So if we fast forward to the 10-year anniversary of the SEC Network in 2024, how do you think the channel could potentially look different then than it does now? That's a great question too, Richard. You know, we, you know I think that um, I think SEC Network Plus, of course, our digital arm, uh, does extremely well. We put over 1,200 events on that every year. Um, and so I can, you know, in his, his younger generation continues to receive their content through less traditional means, meaning over the top satellite. I think you'll continue to see um, the digital platform grow. Uh, right now, it's mostly specific to live games and uh, some ancillary content. But I think the um, the platform there, without getting into too many specifics, uh, to box me in right now, I think there's some possibilities there to. Uh, to really rethink um, how a game day might look. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to box you in into specifics and see if we break you. a little I knew, news. I knew here. that you would try something like that, but uh, I appreciate that. But I'm going to hold that for. I'm going to hold that. I got a couple answers. But I'm going to hold them right now. All right, uh, Charlie Hussey on uh, on your radio right now from the Southeastern Conference. So, what are we in store for tonight with the uh, the anniversary show? Uh, we're going to tonight. I'll tell you what's the most exciting to me is we just did a brand new. Studio renovation to a brand new set that will be unveiled tonight. Uh, Marty McGee show has a brand new set that looks like the Wilderness Lodge, and our SEC Now desk is, is brand new, state of the art. And then same with uh, Thinking Out Loud with Marcus Spears and Greg McElroy. So tonight we're going to have a lot of talent in the studio. We have some interviews. Commissioner Sankey will be on, um, and that's going to look back uh, at the launch and uh, all the stuff that we've accomplished in the first five years. And we're going to show off, going to show off the studio tonight for the first time. And, and Charlie, final thing as we wrap up, uh, I mean, to to not talk about the financial impact that the SEC network has had on all 14 schools in the SEC, maybe it matters more for some than it does for others, but do you continue to hear from schools that, that it has changed the game for them financially? Oh, without a doubt. You know, when we started this network, we um, tried not to have a lot of expectations on the, from a financial standpoint, but uh, it's obviously become a tremendous asset and the network continues to uh, produce uh, you know revenue at a maximum level that it can so we're fortunate in that regard and you continue to have to uh, aggress- schedule aggressively and think about programming and content and uh, hopefully we'll be able to keep that up as we move forward and that's part of the reason that uh, Vanderbilt doesn't report their numbers but in that that uh, chart from USA today 13 SEC schools all with budgets now over 100 million dollars. Um, Charlie, really appreciate your time. I, I know you got a bunch going on. Appreciate you jumping on with us uh, this afternoon. Richard, it's so good to talk to you, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, man. That's uh, Charlie Hussey, the uh, Associate Commissioner at the SEC. He's the Chief Op- Operations Officer. 
basically the deputy commissioner. He uh, runs the office on a day-to-day basis. And uh, if you rewind about seven years, there was about a two-year lead-up to the launch of uh, the SEC Network. He was the point person uh, for getting all that done, worked uh, uh, kind of in conjunction with Justin Connolly from uh, from ESPN uh, to get the SEC Network launch done. So nine of the ten largest cable and satellite providers were on board on the day the SEC network went live on the air. Borky, I mean, that, that's the reason that, that it was called what it was, the most successful launch of a cable channel or a, a television network in television history. Yeah, and I mean, it seemed like the programming went off without a hitch either. They had a pretty talented you know studio group and stuff like that. I don't remember there ever being like broadcasting errors or anything like that either. I guess it helps that they basically integrated with ESPN, but still. I mean, not only did they get all those uh, providers, but it went well from a programming standpoint. Yeah, and it has been an absolute rainmaker for the the schools. When you look at the increase in television number, big, big part of that, a result of uh, the success of the SEC Network. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. That was Charlie Hussey on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We're back after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. Sports. On your radio and in the game. Super Talk Mississippi. Talk Mississippi with you. You ever wonder what it sounds like when a coach is handing off play calls to his quarterback? I mean, you've got the John Gruden spoof of what is it? Why two banana spider two why banana spider two why banana? But there's actually more to it than that, isn't there? So I, I actually read something interesting about that. So okay. the, um, the the complexity of the play call is actually simpler, or at least that's what they try to sell you, because the, the length of the play call is basically telling every single player what to do. So like if you played high school football and you had an entire play concept that was called like Miami, we had a Miami, and it was a complete route concept. And if you didn't remember what Miami was, well, then the whole play was was screwed. But the way the NFL does it, they basically just tell every single player what to do. Instead of calling it a play, they just go down the list of exactly what every player needs to do. And so it's easier, at least for the players to, the individual player to know what to do, even though the, the call itself is much longer. So if you have a smart quarterback that can retain that and then repeat it, it's easier for your offense to have a longer play call than just calling it like a city or something like that. But, Borky, if you have a quarterback that can't remember the play calls, then you got problems, right? Yeah, something uh, like that. I think this was floating around. I don't know if we're going to be able to play it for you or not. Uh, there was some old video that has come out of John Gruden back in his Tampa days giving Chris Sims play calls in practice. And it was a struggle 
for Chris Sims, to put it mildly. Not going to work? I think I've got it, so let's try it right here. Here we go. All right, let's try this. This was John Gruden attempting to give Chris Sims the play calls. One second. I got it, I promise. Just having a small freeze here in the studio, but I think I think I can bypass it, and here we go. Nope, not yet. It's coming, I swear. This is great radio. I know. This is fantastic. Green right X. Shift the Viper right. Green right X. Green right X. Shift the Viper right. 382 X stick looky. Here we go, guys. Green right X. Shift the Viper right. 382 Y stick looky. I'm on ready. X stick looky. I'm on. Let's go scatter to west right tight. F left. 372 Y stick Z spot. Here we go. Scatter to west right tight. F left. 382 Y stick Z spot. Christ. Just go scatter to west, right, tight, F left. Yeah. 372 Y stick Z spot. Here we go. Scatter. Say it again. I'm... Scatter yeah. to west, right, tight, F left. 372 Y stick Z spot. Here we go. Scatter to west, right, tight. Scatter to west, right, tight, F left. 382. 372. 372. Y stick Z spot. Z spot. I don't want I mean, you feel bad for Chris Sims because he's trying to remember it. He's out of breath. He's struggling with it. Hey, Dad, were you laughing at Chris Sims? I mean, you can't help but feel bad for him there, right? I mean, he's, he, you feel like he's trying. And, and Lord knows, I don't know that I would have been able to get that. But my goodness, that was a struggle. The struggle was real. Does it make you feel like maybe Chris Sims had not done maybe the preparation with regard to familiarity of the playbook that he should have. It was almost like he was hearing those things for the first time. Yeah, I don't don't see how you couldn't say that. So, Borky, you think that's easier than just saying, ah, Miami? That's what they claim, especially from what I read. It's in the NFL because you have guys that change all the time. So you can trade for a wide receiver and he get ready on Sunday if you call plays that way because he hears X do this route and that's all he needs to know instead of having the play call whatever they're saying Miami everybody got told what they need to do so it's easier for the skill position players well when I hear I'm an X so when I hear X do this it's all I got to worry about instead of having well Miami is what do I do there you know what I mean that 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 was the uh, the point of it, but you have quarterbacks that can't do that, as you just heard. Yeah. So they have to name plays because quarterbacks can't uh, take in that information and then repeat it. Yeah, some certainly can. I remember vividly from high school, there were certain wide receivers when they came into the game, you're like, oh, geez, I may just have to call a play myself because that was st- – so this was 20 years ago, and at that point we weren't signaling plays in – There were no play cards on the sideline. It was coach tells wide receiver play. Wide receiver runs into the game, gives the play to the quarterback. Quarterback gives it to the huddle. You break the huddle. It was a fairly inefficient process. But there were a couple of wide receivers that they were coming in. They were like, uh, slot, right, uh, 30. I was like, oh, geez. And then you just call a play. I mean, you know, at that point, you're just like, I hope this is what they wanted to run. 
for Chris Sims. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Quick first hour. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Shows brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you want to text the show, you can. Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. Rippy, what are you working on over there? You're like. Looking up numbers. Any particular numbers, like lotto numbers or checking out spreads and futures odds? or Not quite. I was actually looking at some baseball scores there. Okay. Uh, Yankees still winning against the Orioles? Yeah, pretty sure that one's over. Okay, good. Uh, that seems to be going well. Hey, Dad, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing during the commercial breaks? And you're sitting there by yourself. Um, I'm not. I'm not just doing it during the commercial breaks. I'm doing it right now. I'm watching uh, Chelsea and Liverpool. Oh, jeez. Is it nothing? Nothing. It is two-two in extra time. <laughs> oh, wow! High scoring. Big twelve. Yeah, Chelsea just got a penalty kick uh, and, and scored on it. Oh, could it be something here. No. We're all pulling for the pool today, right? Absolutely not, under any circumstance. Borky, you actually have a few more things, a few more moving parts to make work. Uh, Yeah. uh, A little inside radio here. Yeah, a little inside radio. I am constantly working these three hours, but I wish I could put on a soccer game. Yeah. I'm surprised you don't. I thought you just kind of kick back with your feet up some of the time, too, though. There are days where I can do that, and uh, not so many anymore. Gotcha. I keep hey, adding responsibilities on myself, and so I, you know, I keep having more things to do. Well, you're like uh, the uh, the video producer, also. You got at least on the days when we're there. Yeah. Which I, I don't know if we should go down the live stream route. I mean, have you looked at yourselves? Ah, uh, no, I don't actually have a mirror in my bathroom. <laughs> I'm gorgeous. It's it's for good reason. No, I'm kidding. It's it's not bad. I uh, I'm here by myself, but I keep myself busy with these one, two, three, four, seven screens in front of me. So there you go. Uh, we are counting you down to the start of the college football season, and we are closing in on two weeks, seventeen days from the first full Saturday of college football. That means it is time for the college football fix. No, it's not for the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B a n a n a s. This day is bananas. One hundred teams in one hundred days. Touchdown. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go! It's the final countdown. Well, I bungled that, didn't I? Hundred teams in a hundred days. Team number seventeen on the countdown from the Pac-12, the Washington Huskies. One of the most beautiful settings in all of college football, Husky Stadium, on the banks of, is it Lake Washington? I think that's correct. Uh, they, they, they sailgate. At the University of Washington, and I'd love to go to a college football game there. We were doing bucket list stadiums the other day, and I didn't think about this one. You know, I've thought about several Big Ten stadiums. I mentioned the Rose Bowl. This is one 
that I would love to go to and see a game in person. Lake Washington, Union Bay, to be a little bit more specific, but it's the water of Lake Washington. Either way, uh, just a stun- the pictures are stunning. I couldn't imagine seeing that in person. Yeah, when you find one of the aerial shots where they've got all the uh, sailboats docked in Union Bay off of Lake Washington, just beyond the end zone of, uh, of Husky Stadium, that's pretty spectacular. Who all does that? So you get the Vol Navy in Knoxville, which is Cumberland River. I think it's the Cumberland. Slightly different uh, atmosphere and visuals for that one compared to Washington. Yeah, no, no, it is. But I was thinking about places where people take boats to football games. It happens there. Aren't there some docks um, in Waco? You get the river that runs right along yep. beside McLean Stadium. You've got that. Uh, Clemson is located on a pretty popular lake there, so I mean, you know, it's not a river. So you, it's if you have a house on the lake, you can take your boat to campus and at least see the stadium from the lake. But that's not really the same thing. Mm, is anybody else? Is is. Is the lake close enough to the football stadium in Madison, Wisconsin? I mean, obviously you couldn't do that in October, November, but maybe in September? I don't know. Well, they can bring your four-wheelers in the winter. Do a little ice fishing before the game. Yeah, I don't know if it's quite frozen over enough. uh, Anyway, we digress. Chris Peterson going into his sixth year at the University of Washington. 14th season overall. So he had eight years at Boise State, felt like he was never going to leave, and now he's been at Washington for six seasons. Last year, UW went 10-4. and They have had three consecutive seasons with 10 or more wins. 10 and 4 last year. 2017, they went 10 and 3. 12 and 2 in 2016. They went 7 and 6 in 15. 8 and 6 in, uh, in 14. Got to replace, um, Jake Browning, who threw last year for almost 3,200 yards, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and Going into the year was in the discussion as a Heisman Trophy candidate, but I'm not sure the production was quite what people thought it was going to be um, a year ago. So they lose Jake Browning, and they lose Miles Gaskin, who was the leading rusher, uh, a little over 1,250 yards and 12 touchdowns last season for him. But there are a lot of people that think Washington's still going to be really good and the question is whether or not Jacob Eason is going to be the starter. And to the best of my knowledge, at this point, he has not been named the starter. Well, Justin Fields hasn't been named the starter at Ohio State yet either, but we all know how that's going to end. Yeah, but I, I would say that's different. There have been some people that have pointed to Jacob Eason and say, okay, he's got one year at Georgia, and then he got hurt, and then he transferred, and comes back and and maybe the knock on him early on was that he didn't protect the football well enough and I've heard some people some pretty smart college football people say that's just not something that Chris Peterson is going to put up with like his quarterback has to protect the football it's also a statue and it's not like Washington has asked their quarterbacks to be mobile but I mean he's like Tom Brady statue yeah do you guys like Washington you like this team They'll they'll compete to win the Pac-12 just because you know they're they're more talented than almost everybody they play, um, and the Pac-12 is not great. 
but yeah, th- I, I think they'll be a uh, they'll be a contender to win that that conference championship. They won't be a playoff team by any stretch of the imagination, though. Yeah, Pac-12 North. Most people picking either Oregon or Washington to uh, to win that division and uh, get to the uh, the Pac-12 championship game. They open the season with Eastern Washington. They jump into conference play in week two. They've got Cal in week two, and then will host Hawaii before going to BYU. So they're done with non-conference play after week four when they make the trip to Provo. Their road conference games got to go to Stanford, got to go to Arizona. They have to go to Oregon State, and they go to Colorado, which means their home slate's pretty doggone good. The Cal Bears, Southern Cal, Oregon, Utah, and Washington State. I don't know that you can draw it up a whole lot better than the the home versus road for Washington. It's a year where they get five conference home games, and they get Southern Cal at home, and they get Oregon at home, and they get Utah at home, and they play their rivalry game at home. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and that they kind of throw the wrench into my Oregon's making the playoff prediction because of that right there. And Oregon's you got, think you're going to beat Oregon? Uh, no, because I've got to stand by my pick. But Oregon's toughest games are all on the road this year. So, and Washington seems to be the most likely suitor. And here's a hot take for you: the Pac-12 will not be the worst Power Five conference in college football, and it probably will be the third best behind the SEC and the Big Ten. It might actually be a pretty decent league this year. So you think the ACC will be number four or number I th- five? I think so, because when you look at the Coastal, there's nobody that the winner of the Coastal is going to win by default. There is not anybody in the Coastal that is going to be worth anything, and it's a one-team league right now. I mean, it's, it's Clemson and then a drop-off and everybody else, and Georgia Tech's going through a transition, and Miami's got a new coach, and Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion last year, and... Uh, this is their defensive coordinators last season, by the way. We didn't talk about it on this show. It's a one-team league. And with the Pac-12, you've got Oregon with an NFL quarterback, Cal with the like five guys that are going to be drafted on their defense, and Washington and Stanford's always good, and Mike Leach teams are always good, and Arizona State's better, and Utah's going to be pretty good. And now it's like, hey, it's a football league. Hmm. We'll see. When we come back, we'll get Haydad's famous alums from the University of Washington. And uh, we will also take a... Uh, I, got, I got a question for you guys. I'm going to spring a question about the Pac-12 on you when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. A buddy sent me a message that said Pittsburgh is a place where they do uh, tailgating on the river. said that he had gone to, uh, to watch a baseball game in Pittsburgh, and it was the same weekend as a Steelers preseason game, and the river was completely full of tailgaters. Now, I don't know how deep in the season you can do that unless you've got a, uh, a fully enclosed boat, because Pittsburgh is one of those places that just looks like it's freezing once the season kind of gets going a little bit. be a cool way to, uh, to tailgate. Or sailgate, I guess it might be. For like the first two games of the season, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Once the calendar turns to October, uh, no thanks, you can uh, you can have it. Rippy? I don't know, isn't it kind of nice there till later? Like just when it turns cold, it's miserable? Maybe so. Maybe maybe, maybe through October you can, uh, you can handle it. I don't know. We can sailgate on Sardis Lake 
or at the refuge. Yeah, yeah it's just a little difficult to get from <laughs> there to the stadium. Um, I mean, I'm all for giving it a shot. I'd love to do the pregame show one day from the boat. See, now now you're coming up with good ideas. Now you're thinking. Yep, yep I'm with you. Hey, Dad, famous alums from the University of Washington. We're going Bruce Lee, okay. uh, Beverly Cleary, and Kenny G. Beverly Cleary. Yeah. Who's that? You have children. You should know who that is. She's an author. She's published 91 million copies of her books have been sold. What did she write? What what was the the Cleary series? Let's see here. Did she write Matilda? Uh, No. No. Uh, She wrote Beezus and Ramona is the big one. Okay. Um, that's the best you can do, Kenny G and Beverly Cleary. Dude, Kenny G is famous. All right, people know who that guy is. Yeah, I understand that, but that's still the best you can do. I mean, we go Rain Wilson. I mean, Joel McHale. I mean, they got some actors in here, but yeah, that's the best. I'm. Those are the three most famous alums. Yeah, I think I'm with you on Bruce Lee. You have to be. I mean, he's the second most famous Bruce in the whole history of the world. Who's the first? Bruce Wayne. Fair enough. Richard Karn? Come on, we're not going with Al from Tool Time over... (laughs) Richard Karn was great. Kenny G. Really good golfer. All right, so I told you I was going to spring a Pac-12 question on you. Uh, If you had to choose... One school in the Pac-12 in which to go to college, like go college experience, live on campus, dorm, apartment, whatever, get your degree from there, where would you choose? Hmm. It's a really good question. Have you seen Boulder, Colorado? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, that would be a pretty fun spot. The little urban state. sprawl. With uh, Denver making its way toward Boulder. What'd you say, uh, hey, Dad? We're here by Colorado, the Sunshine State. Okay. I mean, yeah, it depends on what you like. Do you like the beach? Do you like the mountains? I would go, I think I might go UW, man. I might, I'd like to live in Seattle. I, I want to visit Seattle. I'm not sure that I want to call that home. It's pretty cool. Is it? You spend I like the there? rain. Yeah. Got a vacation house up there. Do you? No, I've been there once, though. <laughs> On Union Bay? Uh, no, we did the market where they chucked the fish everywhere, though, and then did a Mariners game and all that. It was pretty cool. We saw UW Stadium from the, uh, what's the, Space Needle? Yeah. You can see it from there pretty good. I know that sounds ridiculous, but you actually can't see a pre- like, pretty good view of it. What school would you pick in, uh, in the Pac-12 to go to college? Oh, UCLA. Really? Yes. You really liked Los Angeles, didn't you? I wasn't even really in Los Angeles, but like, come on. Westwood and whatnot? Yeah. That seems fairly easy. I don't know. Any chance that UNLV is going to join the Pac-12 anytime soon? No, there's not. Well, then then, then they're out then. Do you see what they're doing there, by the way, with the new stadium? So UNLV and the Raiders are going to share that new stadium right off the strip in Vegas. 
the Raiders are going to play on natural grass. It's a it's an indoor stadium. And they're going to do the thing that they do in Arizona where they wheel the field out and wheel it back in. So they're going to grow yeah. the grass outside. UNLV is going to play on turf that will be underneath the grass field. So they will have two separate playing surfaces in the same uh, enclosed stadium. So the Raiders will play on grass and UNLV will play on turf that will be underneath the grass when it's rolled in. My guess would be that the Raiders would not allow UNLV as part of the lease agreement to play on the same grass that they play on. Ruin it before they even get out there, before their $100 million quarterback takes the field. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean, I I would just think that in that environment, the less use the grass gets, the better shape it stays in. And, I mean, if you look at University of Phoenix Stadium, where you're talking about in, in Phoenix when they've had to redo that sod, they've talked about how slick it has been. So, I don't know. I might pick Stanford, by the way. The Stanford degree seems to be uh, pretty good. Yeah, but when you're talking about picking colleges, who cares about education? Nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Cal is pretty cool. Honestly, I might consider Cal. I just don't don't think I could do LA. I don't think I could do Berkeley. You could do Palo Alto, but not Berkeley. Well, you get in trouble if you call the the little hole on the ground that people work in a manhole there. I couldn't do it. Is that really that heavily enforced, though? I feel like I could say whatever I wanted. Yeah. Home of free speech. A little surprised that uh, Hey Dad didn't vote for Arizona State. I considered Arizona State, as as one should. But it is so hot. Why would I want? I don't. We just had this discussion yesterday. I don't want to be hot. Yeah, it's Washington. It's going to be cool year round. It's perfect. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I say Stanford, but after my recent trip, I I might lean in the Boulder direction as well. It seems like the majority of the campuses in the Pac-12 find themselves in fairly left-leaning communities. Well, it's because they're on the West Coast. It's kind of yeah, what happens out there. Yeah, that's yeah, just how that life works. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you do you notice that that much while you're in college? Maybe so, maybe not. I I, I, I mean, it, when you're in I college, be running, maybe. But as far as I would be running there, for office anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um. Fair enough. Hey, we're gonna visit with uh, Ross Dellinger when we come back in uh, just a couple of minutes. Borky there's a lot going on at Sports Illustrated this week that we need to get into with him, right? Yeah, so they released basically a master list of lists in college football, but it's actually really well done. It's not your typical, we just need content for the summer. It is very, it's well thought out. It's it's well, I mean, even sorted. It's really good. And they did things like helmets and mascots and fight songs and stadiums and also the greatest individual performances in a game in history, the greatest bowl games ever, rivalries, and individual seasons. And so in the rivalries thing, Ole Miss and Mississippi State show up, so I want to talk about that, but also the greatest individual seasons of all time, Cam Newton doesn't show up. Hmm. But a quarterback that that threw for 1,200 yards in 1934 showed up. That's a lot of yards in 1934. Cam Newton in 2010, though, was... Oh, he, he should be... Maybe you can make a case for number one. Or is that 11? No, it's 10. It's 10. He was so good. 
Somebody asked us, by the way, on the Twitter, almost on the text line yesterday, you said that Cam Newton was one of the two best players you'd ever seen, but that you didn't say who the other one was. Johnny Manziel. Okay. I can't yeah. disagree with that either. Yeah. I just, I, I, I'm not saying that they are best ever. I'm just saying in the 25-ish years that I've been watching, maybe almost 30 years that I've been watching college football, there's not a player that stands out as being more dynamic than either of those two guys. If you wanted me to give you a third, here's one from off the radar a little bit, and and going back to the uh, to the early '90s, I might give you David Palmer, ooh, from Alabama, that's a good pick, great player. Um, now uh, again, I mean, have I seen great running backs? Absolutely, Darren McFadden was so good at Arkansas. Uh, saw Peyton Manning play in person a, a handful of times. There have been a lot of re- Tim Tebow. But Cam Newton and Johnny Manziel, I saw them do it in person. I saw them completely take games over. I saw Johnny Manziel do it twice in Oxford. It was kind of a scheduling quirk, but A&M's first two years in the league, they came to Oxford in back-to-back seasons. And there's no question... Like, not even a debate. Ole Miss wins both of those games if Johnny Manziel is not playing quarterback for A&M. But he just put them on his shoulders and carried them. John in Greenwood says Manziel over Archie. I didn't see Archie play. I just said, people that I have seen with my own eyes, it's those two. For me. Not saying for you, but for me. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Don't miss out on the latest deal from Ceasefire. Buy a top smartphone on Ceasefire's nationwide LTE network and get one free. That's right. Buy one of the top smartphones and get a second one free from Ceasefire, only available for a limited time. Ceasefire, customer inspired uh i have received word that uh, a package borky has arrived for me and i think it is in angie's possession okay uh do you like pralines oh my gosh yeah uh i think amanda in pike county has uh, fo- followed up on what she promised that she was um, going to do. She mentioned a couple of times that she was going to send some pralines to me. And uh, apparently those have arrived. I told Angie to help herself, and uh, Borky, you're welcome to as well. Just don't eat them all. you got to save some for me. How long will those... Hey, Dan, how long will that keep? How, how soon do I have to be in Jackson to... Uh... Eh. I mean, they should they should be okay for a week, I would think. I can get them tomorrow morning. I'm going to Jackson. Oh, really? Yeah. When will you be back? Tomorrow afternoon. Really? Yeah. Beautiful. I got to pay you for that. Yeah. How much? I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Okay. We'll uh, we'll make that happen on the uh, on the backside. Uh, we're supposed to visit with uh, Ross Dellinger, but um, 
Who knows? He may be uh, interviewing the President of the United States right now. Considering that Washington, D.C. is now his home, we were going to talk with him about some uh, college football. May have to push it back uh, just a little bit. Gives us a chance to um, take a look at the Pearl River Resort Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. Pick of the day next time you are at the Golden Moon Casino in Philadelphia. Check them out at the Sportsbook. That bomb, Chris Sale... Messed me up last night. Took 10 innings, but uh, Boston beat Cleveland. And no, hey, Dad, it was not a homer pick. It was not a hate pick. It just made sense on the front end. And then it didn't win. Because sometimes they don't. And Chris Sale, who looked like a bum in his last outing against the Yankees, struck out 12 last night. Jeez. So uh, you've got some early games in action. Wednesday's big getaway day in baseball. Uh, Texas trying to salvage one against Toronto after getting thumped the last two days. Yankees beat the Orioles 6-5. to Boston up 5-1 to over Cleveland in the seventh inning. Top of the fifth, White Sox leading Houston 7-4. to Minnesota's up on Milwaukee 5-2. to Borky, your Milwaukee Brewers have kind of folded like a cheap suit. Yeah, and it's a good thing football's here, so I don't have to pretend to care anymore. Uh, Arizona be, uh, is leading Colorado 2-1 to early. Tampa Bay up early on San Diego. Hey, Dad, how much would you like to be at Oracle Park right now? Oakland and San Francisco at 2.45 on a Wednesday afternoon, just basking in the sun, taking in a little baseball. Be better if the Giants were winning, but other than that, yeah, it'd be great. It's only the first inning. It's one to nothing. Jeez. That's, that's not accurate, and that score's not accurate. Yeah, six nothing. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I need to hit refresh then. Yeah. Whoops. Me up. Well, but you could still be having an anchor steam and. Oh, I could be enjoying myself. No question about that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So some of those games I give you scores for finals: Texas beat Toronto, uh, Yankees beat uh, Baltimore, Boston beat Cleveland, Cubs and Philly tonight, and uh, Seattle and Detroit tonight. Kind of a uh, uh, fairly reasonable slate of games. Is there anybody that jumps out? Is there anything that you guys love tonight? There's WNBA action. <laughs> Borky. Saying oh. if you wanted to get away from baseball, there's another option. You got a line for me? On a WNBA game? I can give you one if you really want one. Uh, hold on. There's the WNBA. I get some scores. Uh, I don't see... There are no lines on these games. Three games tonight. The Storm and the Mystics. The Sparks and the Wings. Didn't they have a, a brawl Sun recently? Mercury. Like, Brittany Griner got in a fight. You remember she played at Baylor? Um, she was, She's the tallest woman in the league, and I think she got in a brawl recently. Like, there's some scrappiness going on there. When the skirmish broke out in Saturday's Phoenix-Dallas game, the initial key questions were how long Brittany Griner would be suspended and how it would affect the Mercury's playoff hopes. Suspended three games, Brittany Griner. She's not contesting the length of the suspension, but said she felt it was unfair that the primary Dallas players involved were only suspended two games. Story at ESPN says Griner sent a warning shot across the bow of the WNBA 
telling Arizona Republic uh, reporter Jeff Metcalf the league's decision could end up influencing her future in the league. Wait, you get suspended once and just pick I'm out? Does it impact my career in the WNBA? Yes, it does, Griner told ESPN. Not right now, this second, but how long I go? Yeah, it's definitely going to affect it. I mean, I love playing for the Mercury. That's the only reason I'm playing here right now. Definitely not playing for the W. The W don't do nothing. Is the W like that's what they call the league? Yeah, probably not George Bush. <laughs> what are what he's Feels up to now? Safe to say that Brittany Griner also probably not playing for George Bush. He could own wow. a team. It's like the W, the association, same type of deal. I guess. I mean, you guess. Uh, are you saying that it is? Yeah. No, no, I, I don't disagree with you. I was, yeah. Um. It's one of the very few times that we've talked about the WNBA. Borky, I can't even find a line on these games. Well, well you know, I, I, we at least got to talk about a fight. I mean, the, especially in leagues like that. I mean, the, with all due respect, the WNBA is subsidized by the NBA. It doesn't make any money. The NBA makes the money for them. And they should forgive a fight or two. I got you. Wings and sparks. Wings catching six and a half at home. Oh, yeah? Storm and Mystics. Mystics heavy, nine and a half point favorite at home. Uh, what does that say? Oh, Connecticut Sun and Phoenix Mercury, who apparently will be without Brittany Griner. That's a big deal. Six and a half point underdog at home. Phoenix is? Yeah. Uh, what was the first one you gave me? Sparks and Wings. Wings, six point underdogs at home. Uh, I will take the Sparks and lay the points. Road favorite. Yeah, I'm going road favorite because you got the Sparks at like 17 and 7 on the year, right? <laughs> I don't know, man. There it is. Hey, we're uh, this is. <laughs> if I could underscore, highlight, bold, italicize, and put flashing lights around it, I would tell you, for entertainment purposes only, got the Washington Sparks at 17 and 7 on the year. At Seattle, who is fourteen and eleven on the season, we will. Uh, did I do that right? I don't even know if I picked the. No, I, uh, the, the not the Sparks, the Mystics. Take the Washington Mystics and lay the points. Well, if you it's remember, a home game for them though. The last entertainment purposes only game that you picked was MLS soccer, and you picked a winner. So. Yeah, but that we crowdsourced that one. We can crowdsource one, too. We get uh, Connecticut minus seven from Andy and Macomb. Okay. I, I, yeah, yeah, yes, your, um, your Pearl River Resort sports book at the Golden Moon Casino pick of the day, the Washington Mystics laying the six and a half against the Seattle Storm. It's a winner if I've ever heard one. They're playing at Entertainment and Sports Arena. Not sure what the home field, uh, home court advantage is like. Capacity forty two hundred. I don't know if they'll fill it up or not, and really uh, turn it into a uh, a great environment. Hey, Dad, any of the uh, former Bulldogs performing at a high level in the WNBA? Tierra McCowan's having a nice uh, rookie season. Victoria Vivian's is still out with a she tore her ACL this past summer. Hope she gets better. Yeah. 
I'm not, not being flippant at all. Just an unbelievable no, I, score. I, I, I didn't think you're so hopeful. You I, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I did not mean that in a negative way. I, I realized that sounds like all of my comments are dripping with sarcasm. They're not. No, the Just rippies. Ones. WNBA is important to some people. And right. uh, if you're one of those, glad we could uh, talk to you. So, here we go. Washington Mystics at home tonight laying the big number. We accommodate all of our listeners on this show. You're welcome. I thought you took the Sparks. I don't even know. I have no idea what I picked. No idea. We're back with you after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. I realized that pick I made just a moment ago was uh, absolutely clear as mud. I, I botched it 14 different ways. It's the Los Angeles Sparks that I'm taking as a road favorite tonight against the Dallas Wings in Dallas. There we go. That's it. Back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Um, John in Greenwood wants to know if Memphis could support a WNBA team in the Mid-South Coliseum. I'll go with no. Yeah, they, they, the, the, they wouldn't allow the team to play there. Like, don't they, don't they make them play in the, in the same arenas as the NBA team? I don't know. No, they don't. I mean, no. They don't? Okay. Uh, I'll Wait. take Cheryl. No, some do. Some do, but they don't make them. Oh, uh, well, they would have to be somebody, a better uh, a better facility than the Mid South Coliseum, at least. There's some great basketball that was played in that place back in the day. Yeah. Hmm. Somebody said, "I'll take Cheryl Swoops over Rebecca Lobo." Greg we'll and take Nettleton. Your word for it. Neither of them play anymore, Borky. Oh, okay. It's like MJ versus LeBron. <laughs> it's like MJ versus Bird. Both been out of the league for a while. Uh, I'm sorry, out of the W for a while. Speaking of Larry Bird, so uh, my wife went through our attic yesterday and found two framed pictures. One of them was of Larry Bird, and I got so excited because she sent me the picture and it looked like it was an autographed, framed picture of Larry Bird. No. Went home, opened it up, not autographed at all, but it was just among a stack of like family photos and stuff and then just one random picture of Larry Bird. I thought I hit a gold mine, and it's not worth anything. But mm. ha- had a, a had bummer. a drive home where I was like my heart was racing because Lord knows how much that would have been worth, and uh, could have made some bill payments. But nope. Would you have sold it? Probably not. I, I talk well, big about selling it. Payments. I know I talk big about selling it, but finding something like that in your attic would have just been something that I would have held on to forever. Um, from Greg and Nettleton, Brother Borky, you are extra sharp here lately. You've really taken it to another little level. So proud. Love it. All the best, brother. Greg's the man. Don't you and Greg have kind of like a... Um, Got a little love-hate. Bit of a roller coaster relationship? It's mostly love. Uh, Borky, I saw framed pictures of Bird at Dirt Cheap in Batesville one time. It was so bizarre. I, I don't get it. Maybe... And the person that sold us the house was a, a single, little bit older lady. Maybe she just had a crush on him in those little shorts. I don't know. My grandmother would have sold me into slavery to get 
like to shake Larry Bird's hand. So it's possible. Hmm. Going back to the conversation where we were talking about most dynamic players that we'd seen in person, and I said Cam Newton and Johnny Manziel were it for me. David Ripley says, I'm 64. First time I saw Johnny Manziel, I thought, dang, that reminds me of Archie. Guess it'll always be a generational thing. Uh, Louie from the 662 says, us old farts got to see both Bo and Herschel. Um, this was good. Uh, I saw both Johnny Manziel and Cam Newton play, and Reggie Collier in his heyday was as good as either one of them. And we talked a lot about Reggie Collier back when we were kind of putting together the all-time All-Mississippi team. Which we That abandoned. just lost a little bit of its steam. Yeah. Sometimes, you know. But, I mean, people like to watch the ball, right? There's a lot of engagement for quarterback and a lot of engagement for wide receiver and running back, and then after that, yeah, not so much. Well, it's also very difficult to put together, you know. <laughs> Offensive and defensive lines. <laughs> yeah, ten guys like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, hopefully we'll be able to get up with uh, Ross Dellinger a little bit later, whether it's today or maybe later in the week. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour of the college football fix, we're going to talk, and I, I would imagine that this will uh, will spill over a little bit, about what you believe constitutes a successful season for Ole Miss in 2019, for Mississippi State in 2019, and for Southern Miss in 2019. And then on the flip side, what would constitute a failure? Colossal, slight, or otherwise. So so what do you have to see to deem the seasons for the Rebels, the Bulldogs, and the Golden Eagles a success? You can just go with a win total if you want to do that. Or maybe you take it a step farther than a win total. Um, and then a failure uh, as well. We'll go down that road next with the college football fix. You can text us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Two hours in the books. College football fix is next when we continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on a Wednesday, middle of the week, weekend just around the corner. When we get to Saturday, we will be a week away from the Week Zero football games, Florida and Miami, and then late-night game with uh, Arizona at Hawaii, and then a week after that. So two weeks from this Saturday, full slate of games as we roll into uh, Week 1 of the college football season. 17 days from today until uh, a full day of college football. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, if you're a farmer in North Mississippi and you need to buy a piece of equipment or you're buying a new piece of property, maybe refinancing an existing loan or getting a production loan, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They have been for over 100 years in the land financing business. You can find a branch location near you. Stop by, see them, talk to them about your specific needs, or give them a call. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank. Time right now for the College Football Fix. (laughs) 
college football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. The Hurry Up and Save sales event is going on right now. Great chance for you to save on the cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs they've got at Ford. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Uh, Certainly it's speculative. Uh, It's how you feel right now. What does your gut tell you? When you look at Mississippi State, when you look at Ole Miss, when you look at Southern Miss, best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, can look at it from that angle, or we can just say what defines success for you this season for those teams. Um, hey, Dad, let's uh, let's start with you. Let's start with Mississippi State. Define success this year, whether it's by win-loss record or by what you see on the field for the Bulldogs. Win-loss record, I would definitely say matching last year's 8-4 and four would be considered a success. That would, that would definitely be successful. Uh, but as far as what you see on the field, and I think that might be a little bit more important, and I think they go hand-in-hand, but the offense just has to be better. It has to be better, especially in losses. And I know that sounds sort of weird, but you know I'm not going to bring that st- statistic up again. But State was just so miserably bad in their losses last year. They have to be better offensively, both in terms of what they're getting in the passing game and in their ability to get the ball into Kylan Hill's hands. Um, Borky, what about you for Mississippi State? When you look at this Bulldog team, what do you think would be a success? Yeah, considering the losses, if they can find a way to match last year's win-loss record, I think you can go home happy at the end of the Egg Bowl. But And the schedule sets up easy for them as well if they want to kind of go down that path. But anything around 8-4, and four, uh, I mean, even winning more than they lose at a 7-5 and five record is, is always so hard because people ask, you know, what do you think they're going to go this year? And you don't give them a hard record answer, people get upset with you, but... Winning more than they lose, getting close to matching last year's record or matching last year's record, I think is, considering the losses, should be something that at least isn't viewed as negative. And if you go 500 or below, it's an absolute negative. I feel like historically speaking, a 7-5 and five year is, is a good season. Now, some of the expectations have changed for Mississippi State. If you look at the last five years... Eight wins last year, nine in 2017. They had the six and seven season in 2016, won nine in 2015, and won 10 in 2014. So, hey, Dad, outside of that 2016 season where they finished six and seven, seven wins is kind of below the recent average. Yeah. But but historically, a seven and five season is a good year. Yeah, no question about that. You know, we're talking about Mississippi State's history. Yes, yeah, seven and five. I think there's there's middle ground here between success and failure. I think six and six, seven and five. They're not, it's not a success, but keeping the bowl streak alive is not a failure either. It's if you're if you have a losing season and your that bowl streak snaps, that is a failure for Mississippi State, and that would have Joe Moorhead uh, in some trouble going into year three uh, in Starkville. What about on the Ole Miss front? Rippy, when when you look at this Ole Miss team, how do you define success? I don't know if you can do it in a number. I mean, you, like four and eight and worse, probably pretty bad. Um, yes, I would agree with that. Five and seven and better would be okay, depending on how it looked. But being more competitive mm-hmm. against good teams, I mean, they what they beat two Power Five teams last year. 
Texas Tech in the opener and Arkansas. Arkansas. That's not great. No. Um, so it just depends on how it looks. I don't know about a win loss total, but just you know, if it looks like some of the guys they've brought in the last couple of years are starting to contribute on the offensive side of the ball, and you know the defense is a top, I don't know, a hundred if they can get to there. I think that's a pretty, pretty solid year. And use, I mean, between those two things, you would think that would equate to at least five wins. Yeah, I I feel like when you look at it this year for Ole Miss, in any way, shape, or form, getting to the postseason, getting to a bowl game, would make this a successful year. Oh uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Now you do have people that will nitpick though. And we'll say, well, yeah, but they still got blown out in this game and this game and this game, and so it doesn't feel like there's positive momentum. I just disagree with that. I don't think anybody would nitpick if this team in 2019 got to six wins and went to a bowl game. If they exist, hit me up. <laughs> That's that. That is is fair. Anything beyond winning six games in the regular season doesn't. To, I'm not sure that success is even the right way to describe it. it. Like like wildly successful. I would say six would fall into that category. Uh, here are some messages on the C Spire text line. Borky, we'll get to you on Ole Miss in just a second. Striving for 2012 Ole Miss situation. Got to get to the postseason for the fan base. So that 2012 team went 6-6 six and six in the regular season. Got to the Birmingham Bowl. And Ole Miss fans treated it like it was the Sugar Bowl. John says any bowl game would be good for Ole Miss. Here's another one that says if Ole Miss can make a bowl game, it's a huge success. So I, I think most people are kind of in the same boat. Jamie from Oxford says eight and uh, he says six and six is a success. Eight and four is great. Four and eight is trouble for Matt Luke. Maybe true. By what measure? Who's 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 making the calls? Well, I don't. I that can't mean trouble in the immediate. I mean, it's got to mean pressure going into the following year and an unfriendly schedule next season. Borky, what about you for Ole Miss? It's not. I agree with Rippy. It's not as much about record as it is look. Uh, Like if they don't make it to a bowl game, let's say, but they are competitive. Uh, relatively competitive against Alabama and LSU and Mississippi State. If you remember last year, they were still one win and really a play or two away from being six and six, six and six last year, but were not even close in the same atmosphere as Alabama and LSU and Mississippi State. So they don't have to go to a bowl game to look like they belong on the field with other teams in the SEC West and still wouldn't be a negative let's say they go five and seven they could very well lose to a california team that i'm telling you they're not going to be able to score but i think cal is their most difficult game in the first four they've got and the more i read about cal the more i realize that they've got nfl dudes all over their defense it's a really good defense that's going to come to oxford they could lose that game and still go five and seven and if they look competitive it's at least a step in the right direction because for two years they haven't been able to hold a candle to the other teams in the SEC West so more important than record to me when you're talking about 
defining what a successful, positive, forward-moving season is, is not so much about the bowl game and more about whether or not they can line up correctly and look like they can actually score and compete with and play with and belong on the same field as the better teams in the SEC West. You don't have to go beat Alabama or anything like that, but look like you belong in the same division as them would be a huge step forward. Tusk on the C Spire text line says, name the six most probable regular season wins for Ole Miss in 2019. Let me try and give them to you in order, in, in order that I think they're most probable. Southeastern Louisiana in week one. I'm sorry, in week three. New Mexico State sandwiched between a road trip to Auburn and LSU. And I, I, I mean, those are two teams that, you know, Ole Miss, regardless of situation, is just going to be way more talented. So that would be number one, number two. Arkansas would be three. Memphis, four. Cal, um, hmm. Actually, I'm going to say Vanderbilt four, Memphis Arkansas's five, four? Cal six. Arkansas? Yeah, I had them three. Okay. We'll continue this conversation when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. So before the break, Tusk on the ceasefire text line had said, hey, rank the order of likelihood are named the six most probable regular season wins for Ole Miss in 2019. Here's what I did. I just went 1 through 12 on the schedule in, in terms of I think easiest ver- from, from easiest to most difficult in terms of getting a win. Southeastern Louisiana 1, New Mexico State 2, Arkansas 3, I think Memphis and Vanderbilt are interchangeable at four and five, so I've got Vandy four, Memphis five, and then Cal six. It gets a little dicey after that. I went Texas A&M seven, at Auburn eight, at Missouri nine, at Mississippi State ten, LSU eleven, Alabama twelve. I like that. So you're on the not on the bandwagon per se, but you kind of agree with me about Cal. I mean, I guess people are kind of ignoring it simply because Memphis is a huge game, and that's what everybody needs to, or that's what everybody's well, focused first. on. And it's first, but Cal is going to come in with a really, really, really good defense to Oxford. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. I don't know if I don't know about Cal's offense. But defensively, I mean, we talked yesterday. There was a story that was floating around yesterday um, about Cal potentially having the best secondary in the country. Uh, That's one of those that I bookmarked, and I've got to go back and read the entire story. Yeah, it's and offensively, I think I've told Rippy this on his podcast. Cal lost five of their top six leading receivers and they return a quarterback that hasn't been very productive. So the other side of the ball is not going to be uh, very good either. They, Them and Ole Miss are built the exact opposite of each other, at least going into the season. Cal's going to be very good, experienced, a lot of bodies, NFL guys on defense, nothing on offense. Ole Miss, even though they're unproven, still has some talented guys on offense. Scored a bunch a year ago, even though that has an asterisk next to it. 
defensively weren't very good a year ago. Really opposite football teams. I've told you. I mean, it's it has not been announced yet officially, but I have reason to believe that kickoff for Ole Miss and Cal is going to be at 11 a.m. Oof. And, good for Ole Miss, though, isn't it? Uh, that is what Ole Miss wants. Now, yep. whether or not it happens or not, we'll have to wait and see. But that would be a 9 a.m. kickoff time for Cal coming from the West Coast. That's And my four, guess right? is that Matt Luke would like for it to be 94 degrees at 11 a.m. Yeah. with about 75% humidity. Can't replicate that in the Bay Area. That's week four, right? That is week four. Okay, so if that's the case, then you're probably looking at MSU Kentucky as the probably like the SEC Network night game. So, yeah, I could live with that in Starville. You made me. You made me rank states games one through twelve too. That's yeah, do that. Do it one. All right. Um, from easiest to most difficult, I bet you can guess one and twelve. Uh, Abilene Christian, Louisiana, USM, Arkansas, Kansas State, Ole Miss. Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama. Okay. I've got no qualm at all with with that. Where did you have A&M? Third from last. So they would be the tenth most difficult game. The third most difficult game. So so you're buying stock in A&M? Well, I mean, I'm buying. It's not that I'm buying stock in A and M, but I think they're better than Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ole Miss. I just think they're better than those teams. Okay. I mean, State's won four of the last five against A and M. They they could they could they could win that game, but yeah. if you're telling me you're asking me who's better, A and M or Auburn, I say A and M. A and M, Tennessee, I say A and M. So on and so forth. You know what I think the most interesting game on Mississippi State schedule is? Tell me. I think it's the road trip to Knoxville on October 12th. Huge game. Huge game. Back-to-back games at Tennessee and at Auburn. That's the, that's where the season swings between eight and four and six and six. Yeah. What's the? Uh, uh, let's stick with that question for a second. Borky, what's the most interesting game on Ole Miss's schedule? I think it's Cal. I, I mean, you know, if they lose to Memphis and Arkansas, none of it matters. But I think it's California because if they're going to get to that bowl game, win six games. The path is beating Memphis, starting 4-0, really, because you still have that road trip at Missouri, maybe a free shot with Vanderbilt at home and New Mexico State, but if they can if they can beat Cal, depending on what they do after the first three, then you're talking about exceeding expectations at that point. And that's a, a good football team, as we've mentioned a few times, coming into town. So Cal is the game I'm most interested in, maybe at Missouri as well. Just depending on how they hold up, if the bull band stands and stuff like that. But I'm fascinated by that Cal game. Ole Miss is hosting a Pac-12 opponent for the first time in school history. Under Matt Luke, the Rebels are 7-1 and in non-conference games. The only loss was the one to Cal in 2017. Rebels led in that game 16-7 to at the half. Had some big chunk plays in the first half. But in the second half had a total of 131 yards. And they were shut out. And you remember that was the game, if you go back to 2017, where I think there was some frustration on the part of Matt Luke in not running the football. Or just halftime adjustments in general. Yeah. As in there were none? There were none. When you look at Ole Miss' schedule, Rippy, what's the game that 
that jumps out at you? Arkansas. Week two. Yeah, just because. You have to win that game. Yeah, I mean, you got to win the first two, to be completely honest. Because it's not just a win-loss thing in the path to six wins. It's reeling back in a largely apathetic fan base. Going 0-2 or 1-1 probably doesn't do that. 1-1, you're probably still okay if you finish strong after that. But And you go 0-2, oh boy. The Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Here you go. Uh, from Steve. Success for Mississippi State, nine regular season wins, and failure is seven or less. Yeah, oh, no. Randall says Mississippi State at seven and five is a big failure. No, come on. Come uh, on, guys. Joe Landshark says for Ole Miss, six and six is a success. Four and eight is failure. Five and seven, I'm annoyed but I'll excuse it because this team is so thin. Bradley, talking about Mississippi State, eight plus a bowl win is success. Seven or less is failure. And let's see here. D, this is a little more nuanced. He was actually responding to Randall, who said Mississippi State at seven and five is a big failure. And D says, I'll take it any year, every year. That's about how far our athletic budget goes. I don't necessarily agree with that. Because, as you said, prior, other than that 2016 season, states won eight or more every, you know, for the past, what, five, six years. So, I mean, state's certainly capable of being a consistent eight-win team. Uh, I, don't, I don't think the athletic budget is the, is the issue there. Imagine yeah. this time last year. If we were telling everybody, hey, over the next two seasons, Mississippi State's going to lose 10 games, we'd been laughed off the radio. Yeah. You know, this goes back a few years, uh, probably to Greg Byrne, and certainly with Scott Strickland moving forward, and now John Cohen. Mississippi State is scheduling itself into anything short of a bowl game is a disappointing season. When you look at when you look at the non-conference schedule and the permanent opponent, it means win one more to get to a bowl game. So Mississippi State, Louisiana Lafayette, Southern Miss, Abilene Christian. And then Kansas State. Okay, that's a that's a power five team that you feel like you're going to beat every time you play them. NC State, eh, next year, a little bit more difficult. Especially on the road. It'll be a tough game. That trip to is it Arizona or Arizona State on the horizon a few years down the road? It's both, I believe. Okay. But they're coming. So so those are teams that yes, it's a power five game. It satisfies the Power 5 non-conference requirement put forth by the SEC, but they're games you're supposed to win. And then you look at Kentucky, and Mississippi State has fared well against Kentucky last year notwithstanding, and then that means go get one more, and you're in a bowl game. Yeah, That is a very strategic way to build your schedule. Hmm. 
I guess Ole Miss has been a, a little... good point. Do what now? This, this, a friend of mine just made a really good point. He was, he's a state fan, but he said a successful season for Ole Miss would be like state season under Mullen his first year. Competitive in almost every game, and then find a way to get an upset, especially if you can get an upset in the Egg Bowl. That would be really huge. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.